Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the ISO Podcast. I am your host, fellow hoop fanatic, leader of the home team, Trey Crowder. It's your boy. We back in effect. Thank you guys for listening, man. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I know I sure as hell didn't. (laughs) Keeping it G. I was at work this entire weekend. Usually I get Sundays off, but they had me up in there trying to slang some whips, man. So it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. But ultimately, I still got another day to prepare. And the NBA season actually started yesterday with the preseason. So it kind of worked out to where I got a little bit more content and NBA media day. We'll talk a little bit about that. But um, yeah, hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Hope everybody was safe. And I'm glad you can make it back to the ISO podcast to talk hoops with me today. Now, boy, do we have some shit to talk about today. <laughs> like I said, the NBA season has officially kicked off with the preseason, so still not games that matter, but NBA teams are on the court. Uh, WNBA playoffs is heating up there in the finals, and uh, just overall, people was wilding. Um, Kyrie Irving hates basketball. That's the conclusion I came to after watching Media Day, and I'll talk a little bit more about that today. And uh, Shaq and Damian Lillard are are going at it, so (laughs) we'll talk a little bit about all that today. But um, before you do anything, please go on Twitter and Instagram, follow me, at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P, underscore underscore f-a-c-t-s again that's h-o-o-p underscore underscore f-a-c-t-s and if you haven't already logged on to the hoop facts website please go ahead and do so check out some of the newest content i just do up there this week but uh yeah man i hope y'all ready to have a fun time um basketball is thriving and full effect a lot of things going on in college and in the pro game so we're going to cover all that today so i hope you guys are ready so we're going to start with some wnba action today um they're wrapping up the playoffs Finals just tipped off this past Sunday, and who were playing? The Washington Mystics and the Connecticut Sun. So if you're not familiar with the WNBA, the Washington Mystics have the league MVP, Elena Del Don, and she played like a league MVP in game one. She had 22 points and 10 rebounds, but she did have some help. Ariel Atkins had 21, and Christy Tolliver had 18, as the Mystics knocked off the Connecticut Sun 95-86 to to improve to 1-0 in the series. On the other side, Courtney Williams led the way for Connecticut, she had 26 points, and she actually drained six threes. So she was in her bag in that game, but just wasn't enough. Uh, the two teams will return to the floor tonight for game two of the finals, and it'll be in D.C. And um, that should be real fun to see because in the WNBA, it's a best of five, uh, well, like as it gets later in the, uh, in the series. So that's, that's pretty cool because in the NBA finals, they get seven games. So usually the, 
you don't see that intensity pick up to around game three or game four. So in game two, with Connecticut knowing if they lose this, they go back home down 0-2, and the Sun will only – well, I mean, the Mystics will only have to win one game. You don't want to be in that position. So it's definitely going to be an a entertaining matchup tonight, and I'll definitely be tuned in. I'm off work today, so <laughs> I get to watch that. Let's move on to some birthday shout-outs over the past week. Wasn't a lot that took place, so I'll run through these real quick. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, former number two overall pick. Major bust, but <laughs> I'm a fan of him. He's still, in my opinion, he doesn't get a lot of recognition, but he's one of the best defenders in the league. Nobody would know because he plays for the fucking Hornets, and they, they never play in meaningful games. But Michael Kidd Gilchrist is a lockdown defender. Just can't really do much else other than that. Uh, Steve Kerr turned 54. NBA champion as a player and a coach. Um, this is this is funny because Steve Kerr turned 54 and Kevin Durant turned 31. And news just came out uh, within the recent, I want to say maybe about two weeks ago, Stephen A. Smith broke the news that Kevin Durant and Steve Kerr had smoked. And that kind of was a, a reason that led, not 100%, but it factored into Kevin Durant's decision to leave. So <laughs> it's funny because their birthdays are like a day or two apart. So... That's pretty funny. And then Aaron Holiday turned 23. So those are the birthday shout-outs over the past week. Uh, Give those guys a huge round of applause. Seeing another year of life. Always got to love that. So let's move on and take a look at some NBA news. So Houston Rockets, they tipped off the um, preseason against the Shanghai Sharks. (laughs) And this one was a laugher. (laughs) So the score was 140 to 71. You did not hear me incorrectly. I said 140 to 71. If you multiply the Sharks' score by two, they would have beat the Houston Rockets by only two points. <laughs> so the Houston Rockets almost doubled their, their scoring output. And, I mean, how, how, could you, how could you expect anything else? I'm sorry, Shanghai, but <laughs> they got put on a T-shirt in this game. James Harden had a triple-double by halftime. He had 10 points, 12 rebounds, and 17 assists in 21 minutes. Um, and then he got real disrespectful. He unveiled that, that one-legged step-back three that we seen him working on in the summer. He didn't make it, but uh, he had Russell Westbrook on the sideline going crazy. <laughs> I'm going to be interested in seeing that all year because I remember when Westbrook and Cam Payne was on the same team. And um, I've never seen Cameron Payne play any meaningful minutes, but he was always on the sideline dancing. So now Russell Westbrook got somebody that he could – you know what I mean, turn up with, but at the same time, they both could produce and kind of play off each other. So that's going to be fun to see all year. I think the Rockets are going to have a really good season. Uh, Clint Capella had 25 and 10 in the game. And then on the uh, for the Sharks, Donatus Montiunas, he had 27 and 11. And the funny thing is he actually used to play for Houston. So he probably knew what they was going to try to run. He was in his bag. And that's cool because he'll get some recognition from another team if he's trying to get back into the league. Uh, in that game, speaking of Russell Westbrook, he sat out. He had arthroscopic knee surgery um, over the offseason. So he's they've been a little bit cautious with him. They're not um, – they not said he's in any, like, danger of missing major time, but they're not going to mess around with the preseason. And he plays with reckless abandon, so they throw him on the court. He's liable to fucking tear ACL in the preseason game. So they're not going to do that. Uh, the Rockets, though, they returned to the hardwood on Thursday to face the Los Angeles Clippers and Hawaii. So that would be pretty cool. Get a chance to see some of their younger talent just because you're not going to see the superstars in the preseason. Um, some more NBA injury news. Paul George will not play in the preseason. He's targeting a return for November. 
He had a surgery on both of his shoulders this past offseason. Damn, that shit got to hurt. <laughs> but he had surgery on both of his shoulders this past offseason. And then uh, for the Warriors, Clay Thompson, uh, GM Bob Myers gave an update on his injury status. And he said he'll update it. He'll give us an update around All-Star break. So Clay Thompson is for sure out at the very least until All-Star break. And we'll hear a little bit more around that time. And then for the Dallas Mavericks, the unicorn is completely healthy. So we'll get to see Kristaps Porzingis. I think he will play in the preseason. He said he's 100% ready to go. So we'll get to see Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis take the floor for the first time. So I'm really excited to see that. In other news in the NBA, former WNBA star and Hall of Famer Teresa Witherspoon is joining the New Orleans Pelicans coaching staff. She will serve as a two-player development coach who will work with Pelicans two-way players and accompany their transfers to and from the G League. And then for the Miami Heat, Eric Spolstra uh, just got a long-term extension, and now he will be their coach all the way through the 2024-2025 season. He is now the second longest tenure coach in the league behind Greg Popovich. That is so crazy to me. I remember when Eric Spolstra got the job with the Miami Heat, and everybody was like, who the fuck is this? Like, who is this guy that's about to come in and, and coach LeBron? Uh, Chris Bosh and D Wade at the height of their careers when he used to be like, I think he started as like a, he used to work in the video, in the video department for the Miami Heat. So he came a long way. And not only has, you know, he, he got to the pinnacle in terms of winning the championship, but he's stuck on, around. They still don't have a lot of talent over in Miami, but he always finds a way to get those guys to play, you know, really a tough brand of basketball, really competitive. And that's how, that's that's really the wave now. Like I know a lot of these teams think, you know, if if we're in a big media market, that's automatically gonna attract free agents. But really, it's your style of play. Like LeBron going to the Los Angeles Lakers obviously had a lot of importance in terms of business. But just for for guys like Kyrie joining the Brooklyn Nets, it's a style of play. Like I used to work for iHeart uh, Radio. And whenever I would cut up the audio clips that they would send into us, everybody would always rave about how how hard the Brooklyn Nets played. This is about two two years ago or a year and a half ago. And they were getting their ass kicked at this time. But everybody, when they played them, was like, man, it's a dog fight. They're going to be good in a few years. I used to always hear the opposing players say that. And now look at them. They, you know, they built it from the ground up and they established a culture that was attractive for other guys to join. And they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie. So... That's really what it's about, establishing a culture that, that people want to join and something that looks attractive. And the, it worked for the Miami Heat. And they just got um, Jimmy Butler this past offseason, a guy that kind of, you know, plays with that same mentality. So in uh, other signings, the, um, the Brooklyn Nets signed Lance Thomas, former forward, used to play for the Knicks, defensive specialist, capable of hitting an open shot here and there. And then one of the original stretch fours, Ryan Anderson, he has re-signed with the Houston Rockets. Um, I don't see him playing a lot, but that's pretty good. If they need him to come in and spurts to knock down some big shots, he's more than capable of doing so, especially at this stage of his career. All he wants to do is really sit out there and shoot jumpers. In college basketball news, five-star point guard Sharif Cooper committed to Auburn. Um, he chose Auburn over Georgia, Alabama, and a whole bunch of other colleges. Sharif Cooper is nice. I've, I've been seeing his name on uh, I Follow Ball is Life 
Hoop Mixtape, all the other platforms that I follow on Instagram. Always seen his videos, real creative with The Rock. He's, he's nice. So that should be pretty cool to see him in the SEC going up against some of the top guards in Kentucky. I want to see him match up against Ashton Hagens when they play Kentucky. I want to see him go up against Trey Mann and all those guards over at Florida. So uh, SEC is stacked, not just in football, but in terms of basketball as well. And then Jay Scrub, guy who is <laughs> funny-ass name, Jay Scrub. But uh, he's no screw-up. Jay, Jay is considered the top junior college player in the country by a lot of um, different ranking, I would say, ranking databases. And he just committed to Louisville over the weekend. So he'll be joining the Louisville team. And he is a bucket getter. He's about six foot six. Uh, last year he played in 30 games. And he averaged 20 points and nine rebounds. And he shot 46% from three-point range. So that's definitely you know, prototypical NBA two-guard measurements and production. Knockdown shooter, high-level scorer, active rebounder at six foot six. That that's exactly what you want. So I think he'll have a bright future. Um, I'll be I'll be looking forward to see how he how he fares at Louisville. And then perhaps the biggest news over the weekend, this this caught a lot of people's attention including myself. The only reason this one isn't a topic is because it's still pretty new. Once I get a little bit more information, I'll dive into it more. But California Governor uh, Gavin Newsom signed the, um, the bill to let NCAA athletes in California be paid. So this obviously has major implications on how this will affect college sports in general. And of course, this is a basketball platform, so I'm thinking about how it's going to affect basketball. And I just wonder how this is going to affect recruiting. Because what it, what it says is, I, I did a little bit of reading, and it says, um, Gavin Newsom of California signed, signed a law to plan to allow college athletes to strike endorsement deals, intensifying the legal and political clashes that could ultimately transform the economics of college sports. My biggest thing is, like I said, how's it going to affect recruiting? Because if... Zion Williamson can get paid now, you know, coming right out of out of high school. He doesn't have to go to Duke to get the exposure to maintain his, you know, status as a top pick. He could go to fucking Morehouse and <laughs> they're going to pay him Nike, whatever these endorsement brands are. They're going to pay him to to see his name, you know, in the big lights. He doesn't need to go to the college for them to, to boost his exposure now. So this is going to be really crazy to see. Is it going to boost the recruiting for a lot of California schools? Will USC, UCLA, you know, will, will those guys get a lot more prospects now because those guys can get paid? How does this affect college basketball as a whole? Like, how, how can one state operate where colleges with athletes can be paid and other states can't? So I'm, I'm curious to see how that'll, how that'll play out. And that's, that's the reason why, like I said, I haven't made it a topic yet because I want to dive into it a little bit more. But those are just initial questions that I had. And then as far as um, college basketball, man, I'm excited. The season is coming up, especially with this looming over. Uh, LeBron James has been very instrumental in getting this bill passed. So he even, he even said if, if this was something that was in place when he was coming out of St. Vincent, St. Mary's, he probably wouldn't have jumped directly to the NBA. He said he probably would have considered going to college, you know, if, if he was able to get paid at that time. So we already know how corrupt the NCAA is, and we already know – you know, how much money they make off these players. So we'll, we'll see. It remains to be seen, but we'll definitely keep a close eye on that. And uh, once we get a little bit more info, we'll, we'll do a deep dive into that. So that's the wrap for my rundown. 
for as far as the news within this past week. So I'll go ahead and preview the topics before we dive into it. So the first topic of the day we're going to get into is um, NBA Media Day. What did we learn? A lot of top storylines circulating in the league. So we'll tackle those and see, you know, my biggest takeaways. And then um, for the quarter two, we'll talk about – well, last, I'll revert back to last episode. Last episode, we talked about who are the five most underrated players in the league and in terms of positions. So the most underrated point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Well, we're going to flip it around today, <laughs> and we're going to say who are the five most overrated players in the league. And then at the halftime, we're going to do my ISO predictions um, just because we're so close to the season. I've already kind of told who the rookie of the year is. I've already told who my prediction for defensive player of the year is. Uh, so this episode, I'm going to give my prediction for six men of the year and who the runner-ups will be. And then moving on to quarter three, we'll talk about the ESPN top 100 list. Um, and we'll break that down. And we'll, we'll kind of grade it to see. Because I, I gave this some time. Initially, when I looked at it, I saw some things that kind of stuck out. And you know I don't give a fuck about the list. I say that all the time. But this one, I said, you know what, let me, let me give it a chance. Let me read the criteria. Let me see. And then we'll tackle it accordingly and, you know, give our opinion, you know, once we, we know exactly who the entire list includes. And then um, we'll, ra- we'll round it out in quarter four with the um, – we're going to look a little bit into the future. We're going to find out who the top five players in the league will be in five years. So everybody that's running the league now, we're going to look at their age, <laughs> and we're going to look and see if we fast forward who are going to be the top guys in the league. And I think there are going to be some surprises in there that you guys will, will, will find pretty interesting. <laughs> so stick around. Let's go ahead and get into it, and um, let's have a lot of fun today. What's up? What's up? How we doing? Good. Welcome back. I feel great. Just ready to get started. I'm very excited. Uh, this is what the dream was all about. Uh, making it to the league and having an impact. And the impact starts tomorrow. When we both got the news, I think it was uh, almost like we couldn't. I, I couldn't believe it. How, how did you feel? Yeah, I was, uh, I was asleep. Woke up. My phone was blown up. I thought I got traded. <laughs> Because I've been traded before, I know what that feels like. You know, everyone talking about uh, the big winners of the summertime. Um, Is it the the Nets? Is it the Clippers? Is it the Lakers? Um, It's actually Staples Center. Staples Center is the biggest winner of the summer. Throughout that year, it just became rocky, and a lot of the battles that I thought I could battle through in the team environment, I just wasn't ready for. And I failed those guys in a sense that... I didn't give them everything that I could have during that season, especially with the amount of pieces that we had. Every guy that is on his team, um, you know, me and LeBron had to say so in, and I think that's very important. You know, when you know you go to war with guys every day, um, it'd be pretty weird to go with a guy, go to war with a guy that you don't really like. Kyrie talked about the personal side of it that you guys are humans, not just basketball players. I know that's something you talk about regularly as well. What's going to be different for you when Kyrie talked about that and what are you going to sort of share with your teammates in terms of making sure that that side of you, the personal side, is taken care of and everything is good so that you can do what you want to do when you show up at, at the arena and in practice? I don't get what you're trying to say. I didn't miss one game, by the way, throughout the whole postseason, not one. I watched every single last one of them. A lot of people have responsibilities for why 
that ended up happening the way it happened on a national scale. We all know Kay was not ready to play in that environment. We all know that, whether people want to admit it or not. He was out 31 days, and we put him on a national stage on the finals to end up selling a product that came before the person, Kevin. And now I'm here to protect that. I mean, really doesn't matter how we became friends. I mean, I don't really think that's a huge topic. You know, I think... Um, we're friends with, I mean, you cross paths with all these basketball players, you know, whole life, you know, basically, especially once you get out to the circuit. So it's not like we sat down and said, you know, Kyrie, you're my friend. You know, it was just, just kind of happened, you know. So um, with anything's possible, we feel in life. This year we coming in, our, our focus is to win a championship. You know, I think our mentality has to shift to that. It's, it's going to be scary. That's all I can tell you. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> My mother always told me, uh, don't talk about it, be about it. Man, so that's where I'm at. Man, I'm super hyped for this season. I hope y'all are too. <laughs> that was just some of the best sounds that I put together from uh, Media Day this uh, past weekend. And then, of course, yesterday as well. A lot of the teams finished up. So we heard a lot of a lot of interesting comments in that in that little clip. And one thing you probably noticed more than anything was how spicy <laughs> Kyrie and KD sound and how motivated, you know, LeBron James sounds among other players in the league. So this is a uh, this season is probably for myself at least one of my most highly anticipated seasons in recent history just because of all the storylines. Like every year you have them, but this year there, there are a lot more intricate details that kind of go into it that, that make these storylines a lot more intriguing. So the first one that, like I said, I kind of mentioned Kyrie and KD in Brooklyn. And these have always been, you know, since the free agency period kicked off this in, in the summer. These have already been the top headlines. But now with the recent news that has came out, especially with the Golden State Warriors and, you know, how they handled the situation. It makes you look at things a lot differently, especially when you hear about Kyrie Irving after this press conference. It's pretty cool because we sort of make our own, you know, our own outcomes, and we try to, we try to look at the situation from the outside perspective and see what may have happened or how guys feel or what went into the decision-making when guys leave teams. But the press conference for Media Day is the first time we really get to hear these guys address all the scrutiny that they've received, you know, address all of the questions that we've had since they joined their new roster. So this was pretty cool to see. And Kyrie Irving, he, he didn't hold back. <laughs> My, I mentioned that at the top of the episode. What I got from this is that Kyrie hates basketball. <laughs> and not, not I'll, I'll say this. He doesn't hate basketball, but he hates the NBA. And I think Kyrie and KD feels the same way. And that's probably why they get along so well. And that's probably why they decided to team up together. I know with both of them, there, there isn't too many guys that can score at the point guard position and at the small forward position ever the way Kyrie and KD can. So they're very unique and they're unique personalities as well. So it's, I'm, I think they're going to do really big things. And the fact that they're in the East, of course, they're going to be competitive once uh, KD comes back. But I just question, you know, how this is all going to play out because looking at this now and seeing how, you know, their, their mindsets are going into it, they don't really seem enthusiastic. They more so seem like, Brooklyn was a place that they can settle and be comfortable at. 
But at the same time, you're going to have to deal with the same thing that you hated in, in terms of, like, the media scrutiny. So Kyrie was going to championship after championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, you know, teaming up with LeBron. So you're going to have a lot of media coverage in that instance. And then on the flip side, KD is always in the championship discussion. And once he joined the Golden State Warriors, you know, they're always in the camera, always in the spotlight. But he never felt like he necessarily fit in. It was always Kevin Durant and the Warriors. So that that is kind of interesting to see because why would you go to Brooklyn if, you know, the circus of the NBA is what irritates you? When if you went to Brooklyn, it's just going to be heightened times 100. Like the, the, the media, the media news reporters in New York are not going to hold back. They're going to ask the tough questions. And that's exactly what they did during the press conference. And what Kyrie and KD both showed is if you're going to ask me questions I don't want to answer, I'm just going to be nasty back. Kind of like that Marshawn Lynch role. Like I'm just here so I don't get fined. So with that being said, they're going to have to deal with this all season and if all they wanted to do is play basketball and, you know, isolate themselves and just focus on, you know, winning and the therapeutic aspect of just hooping, they should have went to like fucking Sacramento or something. <laughs> like, I don't think the answer was to go to Brooklyn. And this kind of this kind of brings me back to my point at the beginning when I said this is kind of reminding me of like Darren Williams, KG and Paul Pierce all over again. These guys were each. I wouldn't say at the height of their careers, but starting to trend downward. And they all went to Brooklyn. And everybody thought this was going to be the beginning of a dynasty. And it kind of ended in like a dumpster fire. So it didn't, it didn't really play out well. And not to say that Kevin Durant and Kyrie are on the downside of their careers, but they're definitely not trending upward. And Kevin Durant is just, you know, he's, he's rehabbing now a major injury. And he just turned 31. So who's to say if he's ever going to come back the player that he was prior to? And Kyrie, he, he's had his share of injuries, too, in the past. But Kyrie strikes me as the type of guy. This is my bold statement. I think Kyrie would be one of those guys that retire really early, like probably at the age of 30 or like shortly after, even if he has a lot more years left to play, because he just strikes me as the type of the type of guy that, you know, he he just wants to find peace with himself. He kind of has like that hippie vibe. And <laughs> if you listen to the interview, he kept talking about like, you know, we're, we're humans first and, you know, it's the people, it's not the basketball player. He just seems divided on the concept of what an NBA player is and who Kyrie Irving is. And I think he might end up doing what like Ricky Williams did when it just was too much. And I just want to, it's, it's almost like the game he grew up loving, the, the theatrics of the NBA and the entertainment industry has kind of tainted that and you know, taking something away from him that he probably once loved. And I'm not saying he doesn't love basketball now, but he definitely looks at it differently. He even said it in the interview um, for the, at the press conference, I'll say. Um, he mentioned how his grandfather passing away was the major reason why last year in Boston was so crazy. He, he never dealt with a loss like that, and the sport of basketball was kind of pulling him away from that. He wasn't able to grieve. And when it happened, he said he was playing basketball and he didn't really get a chance to speak to his grandfather before he passed. So he made the statement that how would you feel about the game of basketball if it took you away from, you know, something that that traumatic? So I, I don't know if basketball is his first love because he also mentioned basketball was the last thing on his mind last year. And with a lot of players in the league, especially the greats, when times get tough, they usually turn to basketball. So that kind of makes me question if, 
you know, Kyrie is really all in. All in or not, Kyrie is still a top three point guard in the league, but it's it's definitely gonna gonna he he has to be all in in this first year if Kevin Durant is not there to get the others to buy in that he's not the guy from last year in Boston. Because now he kind of has to prove himself again. This is a guy that was a first-round, first pick, NBA champion before the age of 30. He kind of carries himself like he doesn't have to prove anything. But after last year and seeing how the league is, uh, what have you done for me lately, league, especially any professional sport, that's always the case. It it, it kind of derives the question of, well, is he going to be able to to – to show that he's a different guy than what we kind of notice him to be. Because in Cleveland, you can say you never really heard anything from Kyrie, but the way he left kind of shows that, okay, maybe we didn't hear much from him because he wasn't the lead guy. It was LeBron's team. He was the you know secondary star. But when we put him in a position to where he was the primary star, look how he acted, you know, and – it was cool to see him take accountability for his actions in this interview. I will say that. So he is starting in the right section, but I think he, he still has a long way to go if he's going to try to shift the narrative of who Kyrie Irving is as a basketball player. And same with KD. Like KD over these past few years has kind of embraced the idea of being the bad guy or the villain. And a lot of the decisions he make is, I feel like, intentionally and calculated to the point to where he wants to do the opposite of what everyone else thinks he should do. And I, I mentioned that on this podcast before that Kevin Durant is just one of those guys that that really wants to be alone, doesn't want to be bothered. And when people think they know him, he has to prove that that's not the case. So I'm interested to see how this will play out along with um, Harden and Westbrook. I think Harden and Westbrook is going to be the most exciting backcourt this year. Of course, they're going to have their, their issues, but I think ultimately they're going to work through it. Originally, when this move happened, I was one of the few people that thought it would work. Of course, I mean, they, they played with each other in Oklahoma City and went to a championship before, you know, they were the players they are today. This was before they won their MVP, so you can make the case that their egos are a lot bigger now and their play styles are more solidified. When they were in OKC, they were still trying to figure it out. James Harden was coming off the bench. But with these two now... They're, they've won their MVPs, they, they've had their personal accomplishments, but now it's about winning the championship. So if there's any time where they're going to sacrifice, it's going to be now. And the fact that they have a close relationship, both growing up from L.A., um, I, I don't see how they won't be able to put that to the side for, for a bigger cause, which is ultimately winning. Westbrook said in an interview, um, he said that, you know, I've, I've, I've proved that I can average 30. I proved that I can dish out 10 assists. I proved that I can grab the 11 rebounds. So he, he's basically letting the world know that I don't have anything else to prove now except winning a championship. And that's his ultimate goal. And the same for James Harden. And the uh, Beard even clarified in the, in the press conference a lot of things I've been saying as to why it would work. He said before Russell Westbrook was this ball-dominant guard, he played off the ball at UCLA. A lot of people don't remember that shit, but Russell Westbrook in college was known as a defensive stopper. So he just has to hone back into that into that identity, uh, kind of the same way uh, shifting to the Los Angeles Lakers, how I feel about Anthony Davis. When AD was in college, he was a defensive stopper. He, he focused on the defensive end. He bought into what John Calipari wanted him to do. Yes, he had the ability to probably average 20 and 10 in college, but instead, you know, he... He was like the second or third leading scorer on that. No, he might have been first. It was him or De'Ron Lamb. But what I'm trying to say is 
offense wasn't his primary focus at Kentucky, and it won him a championship in his first year there. So I think the Lakers saying that they're going to play through AD is going to be something that that is good, in my opinion, because I think LeBron definitely still has a lot left in the tank, but I think they can just go a little bit further if they can ride AD. Now, AD is going to have to stay healthy because that's always been you know, his Achilles heel. He'll ball, he'll do his thing, but then he'll get hurt for a large part of the season. But you can make the case, too, that in New Orleans, he was carrying a way heavier load than he'll have to carry in Los Angeles. So hopefully he can stay healthy because I think AD is one of the best big men in the league, if not the top one. And him and LeBron James are going to be, you know, one of the best one-two punches in the league. I think with LeBron, he realizes now that, you know, I'm, I'm start. LeBron doesn't – I think LeBron still believes he's the best player, but he's, you're going to see that more so when it matters most, like in the finals. You'll see LeBron kind of step up and, you know, take, take the lead. In the regular season, I think he's going to let AD build his confidence. He's going to let AD, you know, be the guy offensively and defensively. And I think he's just going to play the role as the complementary player. And he, he, he kind of alluded to that as well. He said, if we're not playing through AD, what is the purpose of us bringing him here? He's one of the best big men in the league. You have to, you got you to gotta feed him. And I like that. And LeBron has his mind on other things. He is active in the film industry. He's, like I said, he helped play a large role in lobbying for that, uh, the bill to get passed in the NCAA for California um, college athletes to get paid. And then he even mentioned in the press conference as well how the Staples Center is, you know, the big winner in all this. And now he can see his kids play at Sierra Canyon. So he, his interests are, are in other places and the reason I brought up the Staples Center is because he, he tried to <laughs> throw it out there about how Sierra Canyon should play a game at the Staples Center. But I think with LeBron, he, he, he's okay where he's at in his career. He is completely comfortable playing through AD as long as that means winning. And if it doesn't work, I think you'll see him snap back into the LeBron of old and we'll, we'll see him, you know, put up them triple-double caliber type numbers. And two more teams that I wanted to talk about. First of all, the Clippers. This is the most pressure that the Clippers organization has ever faced in their entire existence. The Clippers have been the, the stepchild <laughs> in Los Angeles forever, since I can remember. And now they're looked at as the favorite. Keep in mind, the Lakers still have LeBron and AD, who are like two of the top players in the league, but yet the Clippers are still viewed as the favorite. So I agree. I, I do think the Clippers are the favorite as well, but how do they move forward being viewed as the favorite because last year they were really good and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and they pushed the Warriors in the first round. But it's easier to push somebody when you're playing with house money. They were the eighth seed. No, they were the seventh seed, I think, last year. Seven or eight, one of the two. But they were the underdog. Nobody expected them to, to upset the Warriors. So not to say it's easy, but you have a, a better chance at trying to upset a team than when you're being the one with the target on your back because their teams are staying up all night trying to game plan and, you know, prevent what you do effectively. So now the tables are turned. How will they respond in that role? We've seen when they were up 3-1 against the Rockets a few years ago in the playoffs, they choked. And that was one of the teams that even J.J. Reddick said that they should have fucking won. That, that, that team was stacked. DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, you know, Still young and, and bouncy, Chris Paul, J.J. Reddick, Jamal Crawford. That team should have at least made a finals, let alone, you know, probably even win one. 
So the fact that they blew that 3-1 lead and a lot of people had them favored, I think that kind of just shows when, <laughs> when the Clippers are, are the ones that are expected to produce, they don't necessarily live up to expectations. So hopefully that changes this year. I do want it to be competitive. And, man, I would love to see a Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and Clippers. The city will go crazy. I had to make a trip back just to at least see one of the games because that's monumental. And then the last team, the Golden State Warriors, they still believe they're the best team in the league, and I believe them. <laughs> not, not saying that I think they're going to win it all, but the way that they carry themselves, listening to Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Steve Curry, these press conferences, they're not lacking any confidence, and they never had. You would think that this was the same team last year with Kevin Durant, the way they're talking in these interviews. And if they believe it, you know, they're going to play like it. The, the, new, the new additions on the team, Willie Cauley-Sign, D'Angelo Russell, they have no choice but to fall into place. They, the egos are not going to exist within Golden State. They're like the new Spurs. They're going to put that shit to rest. So the only ego that's allowed is Stephen Curry or, and Draymond Green, and neither one of them really are, like, guys that are selfish. So I think with, with this team, they're going to still surprise a lot of people. I got them finishing around fifth or sixth seed. But if they finish, you know, top three, it, it, it really wouldn't catch me by surprise just considering how they feel going into the season. It's like that thing where they know something that we don't. <laughs> they, they got this shit figured out. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But I, I do think that they might be one of the teams that'll creep up and surprise some people. And I'm a big D'Angelo Russell fan. So hopefully seeing him and Steph Curry in the same backcourt, just like how Russell Westbrook and Harden are going to be dynamic and explosive, I think with um, – D'Angelo Russell and Stephen Curry, they're going to be skillful and dangerous just because if if D'Angelo gets it going and Steph Curry gets it going, they're each capable of hitting five plus threes in the same game. So um, I think with with Steph Curry, too, this is going to be a resurgent year for him. He's always one of the top guards. But this year, I think he's going to put people back on notice, kind of like how he did in the finals. A lot of people were surprised that Stephen Curry stepped up because he kind of had this unfair stigma that he doesn't show up in the finals but they're they're a team and he never has to be that one guy fortunately but now this year I think that's going to change especially with Clay being hurt for the start of the season Steve Kerr said he thinks Steph will be an MVP candidate and I kind of think the same thing I had to look at it and look at you know some of the other players in the league but just like initially thinking off top of my head I don't see how he couldn't be an MVP candidate just based off the current roster that's constructed and you know how how the league looks so I'm interested to see how all of this is going to play out. Now that we have a little bit more information, we can make some, you know, solidified projections as to how the season will play out. But ultimately, man, Media Day was a success. Definitely built the interest and got me engaged. And I'm just looking to see, you know, how the season will play out. I'm going to be watching these storylines a lot closer. But, of course, you got so many other ones. Jimmy Butler in Miami, even though he said he'll never wear a Miami Heat jersey. (laughs) He said he wants to follow in D-Wade's shadows. Uh, Zion Williamson, J.J. Redick at Media Day already told him, don't fuck this up for me. He's 13 for 13. He's made the playoffs in every year. <laughs> and they kind of they both went to Duke, so they, they probably got that, that Duke chemistry already. And then um, just like all the other players in the league, like Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, guys that, that just got to have breakout years. So I'm ready to see how this season plays out. And I'll, I'll be watching it closely, and I'll give you guys updates throughout the entire season. So let's go ahead and transition to quarter number two.
So this is a topic that <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna hurt a lot of feelings in this topic because last week we we big up some guys and we talked about you know who are the most underrated guys in the league. So obviously some people who who don't get the flowers they deserve, but we're gonna pass out some roses today and we're gonna talk about some people who you know get talked about a lot like like they're really out here producing but at the same time you know it leaves a lot to be desired so <laughs> we're gonna do it just like last week point guard shooting guard small forward power forward and center i'm gonna talk about the guys who i think are most overrated at each of those positions and if you know me personally you probably know where i'm going with the point guard position <laughs> so i'll start with that first so the most Overrated point guard, I think, in the NBA right now is Lonzo Ball. And I like Lonzo. I really want Lonzo to succeed. But right now, he gets a lot more praise for what he could do as opposed to what or being getting held accountable for what he hasn't. There's no reason in the world his free throw percentage should look like a three-point percentage. It'd be a good three-point percentage if he, <laughs> if he was around 40. It'd be nice, but it's not. It's at 40% for the free throw and low 30s for three-point percentage. So I'm really big on efficiency. In college, that was one of the biggest draws for Lonzo Ball. He was a 6'6 point guard that could facilitate, you know, that could hit big shots when needed. And they just thought he was going to be this transcendent guy. He's entering year three right now, and if he don't get it popping this year, he might go down the same road as Michael Carter Williams, a guy that was also six foot six that can pass the ball, but you know didn't really do much else to kind of put pressure on the defense. So ultimately, kind of is washing out the league as a role player. So let's just talk about some of the things Lonzo does good because I'm not trying to be a hater. I ain't gonna sit here and just shit on him entirely, but I am gonna gonna hold him accountable. So, <laughs> like I said, he's a very very fundamentally sound player with a high IQ, solid defender. Lonzo's probably one of the best defenders at the point guard position when motivated um and he is a willing and creative passer Lonzo is at times I think he passes it a little too much but when he when he has it going and he's rolling and he's throwing the no looks and he's throwing lobs he's very exciting to watch he plays his best when the lights are brightest I think Lonzo Ball is somebody that's really clutch and usually when you know the I would say when the stakes are highest is usually when he plays his best. I specifically remember in college watching him struggle against Oregon, who was like a top five team in the nation at that time. And I remember specifically late in the game, even when the shot wasn't falling, he kind of just went on this little run and it was capped off by a highlight you guys probably see if you're big basketball fans all the time, where he does that step back going left and hits the three and then he shushes the crowd. So that was that was one of the times where I first seen him show that he had that clutch gene, and then he's also done it in the NBA a few times, you know, during the regular season. So I will say that about him, and he's a really good rebounder. Now, for the negatives, Lonzo cannot create his own shot. His shot off dribble is practically non-existent. Like, that's just not something he has in his bag. Sometimes I think he overpasses. I kind of just said that, um, you know, when I was talking about his pros. But he overpasses the ball a lot, and he makes it easy to guard him. And I know he's not the he's he's not a scorer but you still have to keep the defense honest like Andre Miller basic game <laughs> one of the best point guards in NBA history and he didn't overdo anything he's one of the leading I think he's top five in assist of and you know throughout NBA history but I've also seen him score 52 
So he, you know, if you give it to him, he'll 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 take advantage of it. And Andre Miller was not a scorer by any means, but you have to take what the defense gives you. So Lonzo being a non-threat as a scorer is something that's really held him back. He's an average spot-up shooter. I think if he was maybe about a 38 to 40% three-point shooter, Lonzo Ball would be even more dangerous. His assist numbers will go up because they have to, you know, they they have to respect some sort of his game offensively. And then one thing that I really don't like is he doesn't use the size effectively. I feel like Lonzo Ball is six foot six has he should be posting up a little bit more, um, going to the basket, going over smaller defenders. So that's something that I don't think he does enough. And ultimately, I think these things hurt him more than the things he does well benefit him. So Lonzo Ball, he has to get it together this year because if he doesn't figure it out, like I said, his fate in the NBA may not be too long. Stuff with the big baller brand isn't really going well. On the court, he's always really injured, too. He's never really had a full season where he showed he can be productive. So this is going to be a big season for Lonzo. Usually in that third year, guys figure it out, so hopefully he does. Moving on to um, second most overrated guy. Now, this is funny because the shooting guard position, I looked at a lot of guys, and I don't feel like there's really an overrated shooting guard. I was thinking of DeMar DeRozan, um, James Harden. I was thinking of Clay. Pretty much all the top shooting guards, I feel like, are, are pretty well respected. Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker. I feel like those guys all get the credit they deserve. So for the shooting guard, I actually picked a small forward. And this was a guy I mentioned a few episodes ago, or probably last episode, I think. But Gordon Hayward, <laughs> the last white hope. Gordon Hayward, I, I think the reason why he hasn't been completely healthy, other than when he you know, fucked up his leg on the first game of the season the year before last, I just think his shoulders isn't heavy enough to carry the weight of being the last great white hope. <laughs> he needs to pass it to Luka Doncic. Luka's only 20 years old. He can, he can carry that. He got a little bit more bulk to him, too. He may be able to carry that load a little more because Gordon Hayward in Boston, they want him to be Larry Bird so bad, and it's just not going to happen. He is a solid shooter. He can dribble the rock, um, good decision maker, solid defender, and he's clutch as well, but he is super inconsistent. I think a large reason why that the team in Boston didn't really work out last year was because Brad Stevens tried to force Gordon Hayward into the lineup. Gordon Hayward is a really solid player, former NBA All-Star, but I think he after after that injury he hasn't been the same. And instead of just letting him get 100% right and you know working his way back into the lineup, they're trying to start him because of his name or they're trying to give him, you know, prominent minutes because of his name and all it's doing is hurting the team and as you can see it fucked up their team chemistry Terry Rozier didn't hold back in an interview with first take he said it he said him Kyrie those guys because of their name coach Brad was trying to work them into the offense and without having them earn their roles and you can't have star players on a team that didn't really earn their spot you're not going to get the respect of the teammates the year prior Kyrie was hurt uh, Gordon Hale was hurt. Terry Rozier and the rest of the guys, Jason Tatum, the Jalen Brown, the rest of the young crew, Marcus Smart, they led the Boston Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals and was one game away from making it to the finals. So now the following year, your All-Stars are back. And instead of them working their way into the fold of a successful team the prior year, you just try to, you know, give them the spot without earning it. And of course, that's going to piss off the rest of the guys who felt like they took them very far the year prior. So, I understood it. I don't think Gordon Hayward should really be on this team. I think he needs to get traded because he's hindering the growth of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, mainly Jalen Brown. 
And I think Jalen Brown is better than him right now. So got to get Gordon Hayward the fuck out of here. Um, I, I think he was a really solid player for Utah. But at the same time, if you look at that, I, I thought when Gordon Hayward left Utah, I thought they would fall off tremendously. And the reason why is because I didn't think they were that good. I didn't think Utah had a lot of talent. Rodney Hood left. He had left. Um, I was like, they're, they're going to be a, a lottery team. Then they get Donovan Mitchell as a rookie, and he comes in and leads them to the playoffs. And they've been to the playoffs ever since Gordon Hayward left. So it kind of raises the question of maybe it was a solid roster, and Donovan Mitchell is taking this team even further than Gordon Hayward took him, and he's only been in the league for two years. So really, how good is Gordon Hayward? So moving on to another player. Um, this guy is a small forward, power forward. He'll be a three for the sake of this uh, argument. Um, Jason Tatum, his, his teammate. And it's funny because I just was lobbying about how Jason Tatum is a young player in the league that, you know, is getting his growth hindered by Gordon Hayward. But with Jason Tatum, I think he will be that guy eventually. I just don't think he's been that guy yet. For someone who's been labeled as a scorer, and he does have a lot of tricks in his bag. He can dribble. He got a fadeaway jumper he can do. He can hit the, the three at a really high clip, super efficient score. He can shoot free throws. He can finish over the top. He can do everything other than, like, pass the ball, really. But you don't really see scores develop that until, like, year six or seven, you know, when they're so dominant as a scorer to where they just start passing because it's wide open. But Jason Tatum gets lauded as one of the top scoring forwards, and he has one 30-point game. Like, <laughs> Myers Leonard probably has one 30-point game. So I, I don't know where all this is coming from, yet he gets a lot of credit. I don't understand how he gets so much. And I know why. It's because his first year they – well, I, I don't know why, but I think because his first year they had a lot of success and he was, like, the guy in the, the playoffs going against LeBron. So he's, he's someone that – he can play, don't get me wrong, but he still has a lot to work on and – He's one of those young guys that came into the league and, you know, they get drafted high because of their potential. But we got to start looking at the production. We can't get so caught up in that potential because a lot of guys don't live up to their potential. So we can't just assume it's going to happen because he's getting off to a fast start. I think a guy to kind of compare to him that probably doesn't get the respect that he should, that's actually had more statistical success than uh, Jason Tatum is Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram averaged 18 last year. Tatum has averaged, I think, 14 or 15 over the past two years. And you, they talk about Brandon Ingram like he's a bust. <laughs> so it's funny how Jason Tatum is not even – they didn't win anything last year. He, you know, in terms of the player himself, he's I don't think he's a better defender than Brandon Ingram. They might be, like, pretty close because he's a little stronger. But he just hasn't really done much, and he still gets the praise – of like the top, you know, small forwards in the league. So I, I think with him, he still has a long way to go. I actually picked him as my most improved player because I think he's going to take that, that next step this year. This is year three, so this is usually when it happens. But I think for right now, Jason Tatum is super overrated because he hasn't proven anything yet. If you look at the, the league right now and you take a look at the guys who averaged the same amount of points as him last year, like, let's see, he averaged 15.7 last year. So I'll take a look at <laughs> the leading scores from last year in the NBA and see where he stacks up. Let me pull it up really quickly. Okay, so he's in the same class as Colin Sexton, Josh Richardson, Harrison Barnes, 
Eric Gordon, Aaron Gordon, Eric Bledsoe, Rudy Gobert, who's not even a scorer. Every single one of those guys averaged more points than him last year. Jordan Clarkson averaged more points than him last year. And it's not like he didn't have the opportunity. So I just don't understand where all of this is coming from because, like I said, he's, he, has, he has the talent, but I haven't seen no production yet. So pump the brakes on Jason. Let it prove it to us before we give it to him. Um, as far as the power forward position, this one's going to surprise a lot of people because this guy is really good. But Blake Griffin, I think Blake Griffin gets a huge pass in the league. For someone that has been one of the top power forwards since he came into the league, he has never really competed for a championship ever. The closest they got was when I said they were up 3-1 and they lost to um, to the Rockets. But Blake Griffin is talented enough to carry a team, but yet he doesn't really get the the blame. Like, Kevin Love <laughs> gets a lot of shit, and I don't think Kevin Love is as good as Blake Griffin at this stage of his career, at least. And I think with Kevin Love, when he was with the, uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, of course he took a step back playing with LeBron because LeBron kind of turns every power forward who can shoot the ball into a, a stretch four. So, of course, the stats wasn't going to be there, but... Kevin Love still won a championship, and Blake Griffin is still viewed as a guy that's better than him. So if that's the case, why can't Blake Griffin carry the Pistons in the East past the seventh or eighth seed? And a lot of it is because he's never really available. But as Blake Griffin has improved in things, he's taken a step back in other areas of his game. He was a lights-out three-point shooter last year. He really improved that aspect of his game, which is crazy because he couldn't shoot worth a lick coming into the league. But now he's knocking out threes at a high clip. But his free throws, I mean, not his free throws, his, uh, his rebounding has taken a step back like every year. And that's something as a big man that you have to, you have to value, you know, rebounding the basketball. That's, that's one of the, huge, the biggest advantages that big men have. They can control the paint. He's never really focused on, on the defensive end. Blake Griffin has never really taken that side of the ball seriously. So for somebody that's, you know, viewed as one of the top power forwards, I don't see how he doesn't get held accountable. Because if we look at it, Julius Randle can give you close to the same numbers as Blake Griffin minus the assist. But Julius Randle is not viewed as one of the top power forwards in the league. Last year, Blake Griffin averaged seven and a half rebounds. It's been going down since his rookie year. He averaged 12 his rookie year. He averaged 11 after that, then eight. Then he had a year where he averaged nine and a half. But after that, it went to 7.6, eight rebounds, eight rebounds, six rebounds, eight rebounds, and now seven and a half. So he's taken a step back in terms of, you know, being that presence inside. And he's more so turned into a perimeter player. It's like he wants to be a small forward. He's 30 years old. I I just don't ever see Blake Griffin being a guy that's going to lead a team to a championship or even in that conversation. And it's sad because throughout, like I said, his entire career, he's always been one of the more talented big men or shit, really one of the more talented players in the league. So I'll, I'll say at the power forward position, it's not a lot of big names anymore like it once was, but he is overrated because he gets a huge pass and he has too much talent to to not have a team, you know, in a competitive position to to challenge for a championship. And then the last guy that I have the most overrated center I have, and this is another one kind of like the shooting guard position. It's not a lot of centers that are really dominant and the ones that are aren't really overrated in my opinion, like um, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. Who else? Um, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella. These guys all get their their due credit. And the reason why is because they all know what they do best. Nikola Jokic is a passer. 
Joel Embiid is just a superstar. He's going to score, rebound, and block shots. Clint Capella and Rudy Gobert are defenders. So that's where they make their money. But the guy who I think is most overrated in the league is Brooke Lopez. I don't know how the fuck Brooke Lopez snuck onto the Team USA roster. Like, literally, there had to be nobody else that wanted to play because he, he at this stage of his career, he is just a specialist. He's a guy that, that just wants to sit out and shoot threes. And he's another one I'm going to get on, too, because I don't understand these seven-footers that pretty much that, that want to be guards. It's like, get inside. You are seven feet tall. He made a living inside the paint for most of his career playing, in, uh, playing with the Nets. And then once he left it, really not even once he left, it was his last season with the Nets. He just started shooting a barrage of threes. And once they let him do it, that's all he started doing. He's, really, he's a really good shot blocker. He averages 2.2 blocks last year, and he played 81 games. So just imagine how much more blocks he would have averaged had he actually just stayed in the paint. But this is unacceptable. 4.9 rebounds a game at 7 feet tall? Like, that, that can't happen. That, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> and for, for a guy that big, and I know Giannis is the main rebounder on that team, but you just have to think, how much more dangerous will they be if Brooke Lopez at seven feet, 270 pounds, was just holding down the paint. They, that would make them tremendously dangerous because now you have to worry about his shot blocking and Giannis. And then if you look at his age, he's only 31. He's the same age as Kevin Durant. So there's no reason why. It's not like he's an old guy that only shoots threes now because, you know, he, he doesn't have the athleticism. He's never been a super athletic guy. So that was never a part of his game. But this new found three-point shot, I feel like has made him easier to guard. Because he can make the three-point shot, but it's not like he's just, you know, he has games where he gets hot. But he's still around 36, 34 percent, you know, I mean, for his career. And even last year, he was only like 36 percent from three-point line. So he's capable, but by no means should he be sitting out there shooting six a game. He shoots six threes a game. If I was to look at it, I'm pretty sure most of the guards in the league probably don't take six threes a game. So he's my most overrated center just because... I don't feel like I don't feel like he gets held accountable, and he has a reputation in the league as a, as a really good center. And if he was to just change the way he played, he can probably be one of the best centers in the league just because he can block shots and hit threes. He has that ability, but just don't limit yourself to doing that. And <clears throat> other than that, I, I don't think that there are any other centers in the league that really get you know credit that they don't deserve. So that's my top five. Overrated players. Overrated. <laughs> I remember they used to do that shit in high school. But let's go ahead and um, move on to the halftime segment. And I'm going to go ahead and reveal who my sixth man of the year is along with the candidates. So we're going to run through this section pretty quick. Um, unlike the, the previous two weeks when we've been doing this, I announced my predictions for rookie of the year which I also included the uh, first-team all-rookie. And then I also announced last week the defensive player of the year along with the um, all-defense first team. So this week uh, I'm just announcing the sixth man of the year who I think is going to win. And then I'm also just um, saying the two other candidates I think will fin finish as a runner-up. So I'll jump right into it. The uh, three candidates that I think is going to be in the discussion for sixth man of the year is Terrence Ross for the Orlando Magic. I think Terrence Ross, um, he has a solidified role with Orlando. 
Last year, he had a lot of success just coming off the bench. One of the biggest things with Terrence Ross and his progression as a player, I think he's improved his consistency. He, he showed that he can score, you know, 20 points on, for three straight games. And even if he's not scoring 20, you know, he can play solid defense and just be an impact player for an up-and-coming young team. And I think with him not having the, the pressure, you know, that he had in Toronto being a top-10 pick, I think it was a, a lot better for him. He was able to produce, and his production was a lot more appreciated. He had a game when he was in Toronto where I think he exploded for like 50 or 60 points. And Terrence Ross has never really been a guy that has been viewed as one of the top scorers in the league, but everyone knows he has the ability. So uh, it was 51 that he scored. That was his career high. But anyway, I think with the Orlando Magic, he's probably their best perimeter scorer in terms of somebody that can shoot the three, create his own shot, get to the rack, finish, um, you know, as a high flyer. And with the Orlando Magic, I think they, they like him in that role. And I think he has a long career there if he wants to stay. So I think he'll be one of the candidates next year. He started coming on at the end of last season. So I think he'll pick up where he left off. Another guy who finished strong last season, and I think he'll pick up where he left off this year, is Fred Van Vliet. He's another guy who they won the championship last year, largely in part because of what he did. He's a super, super tough perimeter defender, and he's probably going to be the best shooter on their team. So I remember in recent years, they used to always go to him in the playoffs, and he must be somebody that makes him in practice all the time because when they were losing to LeBron, he never used to hit him. And I'm like, why do they keep going to Fred Van Vliet? One, because nobody was expecting him to take those shots, but he was a veteran. He, he, not that he was a veteran in the league, but he was one of those guys that, you know, did four years or three or four years at Wichita State. So he comes into the league with, you know, a different kind of mentality than a one and done. So when he got to Toronto and they were giving him those opportunities, you know, early in his career, I'm like, I don't know why they're doing it, but hey, if they, if they think he's the guy, so be it. And he proved last year that, hey, they, they were believing in me for a reason. I can do this. So, I think last year he, he finished strong, and this season Kyle Lowry is going to be asked to do a lot more without Kawhi Leonard being there, and everybody is going to have to step up their level of play. Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka, across the board, everybody's going to have to do more. But being that Fred Van Vliet plays guard, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I think they're going to do a lot of lineups where he plays alongside Kyle Lowry, whether he's playing off the ball or on the ball. So I think he'll have a lot more opportunity for, for statistical output. And I think he's going to be very productive. He has a solidified role on this team as well. So he doesn't have to worry about, you know, if he misses a couple shots, has he got to go back to the bench? That's always a good feeling for a player who, you know, lets the game come to him because he doesn't force much. So if he only has two points in the second quarter, he can very well finish the third quarter with 17 just because he can get hot. And then the last uh, guy that I think will be up for uh, the Sixth Man of the Year award is Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie is – he already got the Kyrie cosign. That's most important. <laughs> Kyrie said one of the main reasons he came, of course, you know, him having a friendship with Kevin Durant, but he was friends with Spencer Dinwiddie too. So Spencer being 6'5", 6'6", he's definitely going to be in a lot of lineups with Kyrie late in games, especially if he has it going. He has – immense opportunity he he was one of the the main guys in Brooklyn that kind of like helped them reshape their identity he was one of the guys that worked hard and just 
nobody expected him to be this guy. When he came into the league out of Colorado, he, he was coming in, I think, off a torn ACL. Didn't really play much his first couple of years. But when he got the opportunity, everybody was like, who is this dude with the afro and the mustache? It looked like he's from the 70s. <laughs> but he's a bucket, and he has superior confidence. He, he doesn't think anybody can guard him one-on-one. I've heard him say it out of his mouth. And he, he's just a, a, a great player. So he was the most improved player a few years back. So if he can win the six-man-of-the-year award, that would definitely be dope. So um, now I mentioned the three guys, Spencer Dinwiddie, Fred Van Vliet, and Terrence Ross. My winner for the six-man-of-the-year award is going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he's going to do it because – not only is he going to be able to produce kind of like he did last year, because he averaged, I think, 16 or 17 last year, but now this team is not going to be an up-and-coming team. They're going to be expected to produce on the East. And with Kyrie being there, with all the media attention, I think his, um, his production is going to be recognized a lot more than it was last year and in previous years. And I think with that, that's going to help him land that six-man-of-the-year award. And a large reason because I think he's going to kind of play that Lou Williams type role. Like, yeah, he's a six man, but he's going to play starter minutes. Him, Kyrie, they're going to do creative lineups to where, um, you know, they're on the same they're court at the same time. He could be playing a point. They could put Karis LaVert in there. They could have him playing on the ball. They could have Joe Harris at the two. So they have a lot of creativity with the lineups, and they have really good personnel around him to kind of complement what he likes to do best, create his own shot, get to the rim, um, kick out the shooter. So... I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to have a breakout season. I could see him maybe averaging 18 plus. And this year, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be a force to be reckoned with if he can, you know, perform the way I think he will. Honorable mention, um, just some guys that I think um, I wouldn't even say for they won't win six man of the year, but Anthony Simons, Chris Boucher. Um, and Anthony Simons is a young guard on uh, the Trailblazers. Chris Boucher is a, a forward for uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Lonnie Walker, the fourth. Michael Porter Jr., Harry Giles, Markel Fultz. If they get PT, they are not leaving the rotation. These are just some guys I got my eye on. I know um, I talked about six men of the year. I envision all these guys will come off the bench, but I don't think they'll get enough minutes. Markel Fultz might actually start, but... I don't think they'll get enough minutes to to win six man of the year. And if anything, these guys are probably being in a discussion for most improved player. And then a few weeks ago, I talked about Jason Tatum when I had my cousin Josh on the episode. I picked Jason Tatum as the most improved player, but I didn't mention the runner ups or I don't believe I think I did. So these are my runner ups for the most improved player award. I think Justice Winslow will be in that conversation. Marvin Bagley, the third and Bogdan Bogdanovich. For Sacramento as well, he had a, a big offseason plan for uh, Serbia. I think he's a guy that um, is definitely going to have a, a, a bigger role with Sacramento. And he already did pretty much have a big role. If you remember that game against uh, the Lakers, he was the one to hit that step back three, you know, to, to give them the, the win over the Lakers. So he's somebody that's already in a rotation. I think Sacramento will be a lot better this year. They might lot, uh, vie for a playoff spot. And then uh, Marvin Bagley the third, he's going to be a starter because Willie Cauley Stein is gone. So you're going to see that 14 point production turn into like 18 plus 17, 18 points, and maybe like double digit rebounds. And then Justice Winslow, they're going to experiment with him at the point guard spot. And I had him on my fantasy team last year, so he can definitely play that role. So I'm interested to see how how his season will play out. But yeah, Anthony Simons for the Blazers, Chris Boucher for the um, 
for the Raptors, Lonnie Walker IV for the Spurs, Michael Porter Jr. for my Nuggets, Harry Giles for the Kings, and Markel Fultz for the Magic. Those are some guys to keep a lookout on, and um, if they get some PT this year, they're not turning back. So let's go ahead and transition to the third quarter, and we're going to talk about ESPN's Top 100 list. The ESPN Top 100 list, man. This one actually wasn't as bad as some of the other ones, but the shit that was bad was horrible. (laughs) Like, the one that caught most people's attention is the fact that Zion Williamson was ranked higher than Klay Thompson. That's absurd. If you watch basketball, you know there's no way in fuck that could even, like, it shouldn't even, I don't know who authorized that bullshit, (laughs) but it got through. Like, I I don't know who, 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 who granted access to that fucking pick, but... Whoever it is, they need to be fired. I want all the smoke with whoever whoever did that. So, um, but just looking at some of the players on this list, like Zach Levine was ranked number 55, but you had Jalen Brown ranked number 51. I don't even know how that makes sense considering Zach Levine averaged like almost 25 last year. Um, Devin Booker was ranked number 30, which I didn't have too much of an issue with, but I just rearranged some of these. I did think they had the right players on here, but I just kind of like, I guess maybe I, I wasn't, 100% on board with where they had these guys ranked. So I I kind of took my own, and what I did was, instead of ranking the full 100, I just did the top 25, because that's the ones that, that most people care about anyway. Those are like the top guys in the league, and I just kind of wanted to give my thoughts on who I think, you know, should have been in which spot, and then I'll tell you guys which spot that ESPN had these guys ranked at. And just some of the other things on here that kind of stood out to me on the list because like I said it wasn't a hundred percent like just solid it was some bullshit on here like Zion was ranked number 42 I don't even know how Zion Zion is the highest ranked player on the ESPN top 100 that hasn't played a game highest ranked rookie since the ranking started he's ranked above Anthony Davis Anthony Davis won a championship in college Anthony Davis played for Team USA before he even played one NBA game Zion Williamson didn't win shit in college Zion Williamson played nine minutes in the summer leagues and he has nobody you can compare him to. He is like an enigma that we've never seen before. So if you're questioning how he's even going to fit on an NBA floor, how do you know from jump that he's going to be better than Kevin Love, who he's ranked above, who is one of the best power forwards in the league still. He's just on a shit team. Uh, Miles Turner, who led the league in blocks last year. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, who's a multiple-time All-Star. He, he's ranked ahead of all these guys. <laughs> so, And then uh, the most notable one, Clay Thompson, who's ranked number 49. And I don't even know how Clay Thompson is ranked 49. And Bojan Bogdanovic, that plays for the Jazz, who did just sign with the Jazz, is ranked ahead of him. So you mean to tell me that guy is better than Clay Thompson? He, I, I don't know, man. I'm not the one that makes these decisions. But like I said, it's, it's some bullshit mixed into here. So we'll go ahead and just address, you know, the, the stuff that we, we can't control. And that's my list in my top 25. So I'm going to go ahead and list off starting from 25 to the top position. And then I'll say who ESPN has. So De'Aaron Fox, Mike Conley, Blake Griffin, Pascal Siakam, and Jimmy Butler. So that's 25 through 21. So De'Aaron Fox, Mike Conley, Blake Griffin, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler. I don't have too much of an issue with that. Maybe I wouldn't have De'Aaron Fox in the top 25 yet. I don't think he's really proven much. And I, I'm that's one of my favorite point guards in the league. Uh, moving up to 20 through, what would this be, 20 through 15? Yeah. So Donovan Mitchell at number 20, Bill at number 19, 
Cat at 18, Kimball Walker at 17, Luka Doncic as the 16th best player, Ben Simmons as the 15th best player, Rudy Gobert at 14, CJ McCollum at 13, Russell Westbrook at 12, and Kyrie Irving right outside the top 10 at number 11. And then rounding out the top 10, they got Paul George at 10, Damian Lillard at 9, Joel Embiid at 8, Nikola Jokic at 7, Stephen Curry at 6, Anthony Davis at 5, James Harden at 4, LeBron James at 3, Kawhi Leonard at 2, Greek Freak at number 1, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, before you guys say or even lose your mind, because I know you realize Kevin Durant is not in this list. Now, the criteria that ESPN said that they're using is the criteria for players going into this season. So that's probably the main reason why Klay Thompson is ranked so low because they don't think he'll have as big of an impact as some of the guys ranked above him going into this season. So I can understand that perspective. But at the same time, if that's going to be the case, why even rank him then if he's hurt right now? Because you didn't rank Kevin Durant, and there's a possibility that they both can come back, but I don't think Kevin Durant will. Clay Thompson may later in the season. So taking that into consideration, let's just look at it and see. From 25 and up, De'Aaron Fox is primed for a breakout season. Um, Mike Conley on the Utah Jazz, he can do some things. Blake Griffin is in the same spot. Pascal Siakam could be an all-star this year with Kawhi Leonard going. Jimmy Butler has his own team. Donovan Mitchell is ranked above him. Bradley, Be- I don't know how Bradley Bill will be ranked above Jimmy Butler because the Wizards aren't making the playoffs at all. And Jimmy Butler and the Heat, they might be able to actually get in the – they might actually be able to squeeze into the playoffs, and he might even make the all-star game in the, West- in the East. Carl Anthony Towns, Kimball Walker, Luka Doncic. That's a little too high for Luka in my opinion. Uh, ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert. CJ McCollum can't be the 13th best player in the league. I'm not rolling with that. Um, he's ranked ahead of Kimball Walker. C.J. McCollum has not played in one All-Star game, and even if this is going to be the year he makes it, Kimball Walker is going to make it too because he's in the East, so I don't get that. Kyrie Irving, Paul George, Damian Lillard, and Paul George is hurt too. So that and I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like there's no consistency in these in these lists, but whatever. Greek Freak at one, Kawhi Leonard at two, LeBron at three, James Harden, AD, Steph. So it's not, it's not completely bad, but I'll tell you guys who my list is. So I'll start from the bottom. So my 25th best player is Kimba Walker. <laughs> I swear it sounds like if, if you listen to this podcast faithfully, you would think that I hate Kimba Walker. You would think that I hate Carmelo Anthony. You would think that I hate... Um, pretty much any inefficient player, Marcus Smart. <laughs> like, I don't hate these guys. It's just I think sometimes these people get more credit than they deserve. And Kimball Walker hasn't really won anything, but he's still a bucket, so I have to put him in the top 25. To not have him in the top 25 would be disrespectful. I got Rudy Gobert above him. I got D'Angelo Russell at 23. And the reason why I have him there is because he's on a team now that can – possibly compete for a championship if you know it works out and he's going to be a pivotal player for the Warriors so I had to have him there Devin Booker is going to probably average damn near 30 so he has to be on the list for that reason alone I got him right above D'Angelo and the reason why is because he's a go-to option D'Angelo Russell won't be the go-to and then I got Drew Holiday at um at number 21 and Drew Holiday wasn't even in the top 25 for uh for ESPN so I thought that was kind of strange um, Victor Oladipo, I got him at number 20. Yeah, he was hurt, but going into this season, if he can get healthy, I think the Indiana Pacers had a really solid offseason, 
and he's somebody that is the best player on the team. He can play defense. He's athletic. He can shoot. He doesn't get enough credit. I got Draymond Green right above him. They didn't have Draymond Green in the top 25. I got Jimmy Butler right above Draymond. I got Pascal right above Jimmy. Donovan Mitchell uh, next. Then I got Blake Griffin, Clay Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns, Russell Westbrook, and Ben Simmons. So I know I kind of set it out of order, so I'll list them back again. So starting from number 11, I got Ben Simmons. I got Russell Westbrook at 12. So that's the only thing we agreed on. I have Russell Westbrook in the exact same spot the ESPN had him in. And the reason for that, of course, he might put up crazy numbers, but with Russell Westbrook, he's going to have to share the, the load with James Harden. So Carl Anthony Towns right after Russell Westbrook at um, 13. I got Klay Thompson as the 14th best player. And when he comes back, he, he will have that impact. He's their best defender on the perimeter. And he's their second best shooter, probably even second best scorer. If you think he's, he probably is because he's super efficient. He doesn't really need the ball to score. Uh, so 11, 12, 13, 14. I got Blake Griffin as the 15th best player, which is why I said he's overrated. And look at me overrating him. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell at 16. I think he's about to take off this year. Uh, 17 is Pascal. I think he'll make his first All Star team. Jimmy Butler at 18, Draymond Green at 19, and Victor Oladipo at 20. One thing you have to take into consideration: if I'm going and I'm making my list based off their criteria, so with their criteria, Draymond Green has to be given more respect just based off his accolades and the position he's in to put up, you know, crazy stats going into this year. So um, let's look at my top 10. 10th best player I got is Kyrie Irving. I think Kyrie is in a position to put up big numbers in the East. And I think, um, you know, he he seems to be taking accountability for what, what, how last year burned out. And I think he wants a fresh start. And I think he'll remind the world that he's still that guy. Uh, Damian Lillard, I got him at number nine. I think Damian Lillard, he might be in the MVP conversation. Every year it just seems like he gets better and better. He's hungry. He never really uh, – he's relentless. He, he's going to continue to try and push the Blazers over the top until it kills him. So I think he'll be there. Paul George, of course, at eight because the Clippers are going to be in the discussion for championship, for a championship. James Harden, I got him at seven. Now, that may seem pretty far for a lot of people, but the same reason why I got Russell Westbrook at 12, I got him at seven. I think their team would be good, but I think individually, you know, they'll both have to sacrifice a little bit. I got Joel Embiid at six, and then now we can look at the top five. So top five players I got. Number five is Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think a lot of people know how good he is, and I do think he'll eventually develop a jump shot. I just don't know if it'll be this year considering how dominant he was last year without it. I think they may try and find other pieces to put around him, i.e. the signing of Kyle Korver and Wesley Matthews to give him more shooters, but I don't think they're necessarily at the point yet where they feel like he needs to become a shooter. Uh, Stephen Curry, I already said I, I agree with Steve Kerr. I think he'll be in the MVP conversation. He got championships. He's had all the accolades last year in the finals. He, you know, he may be 30, 31 years old, but he doesn't look like he's slowing down. And I got Anthony Davis at number three. In the last episode, I think he'll, I said, I think he'll win defensive player of the year. I think Anthony Davis is going to be an instrumental part of the success for the Los Angeles Lakers. Kawhi Leonard, I got him at number two because I think he would, uh, he's, he's going to, he's going to take the Clippers as far he's going to be in the driver's seat as far as the Clippers go will be where Kawhi takes him they said that he won't have any minute restrictions uh this year after having a lot last year so we'll see how durable he is towards the end of the year and then the last the number one player I got is LeBron James 
And I think a lot of people lo- lost respect last year or kind of forgot just how good the King is. But one season playing with a bunch of young guys is not going to make you lose the top spot in my mind. With him having the extra rest, I think going into this season, he's going to have a full tank of gas to, to go the whole season. I do think he can kind of coast through the regular season with, with Anthony Davis now being on the roster and some of the other talented players they acquired in the offseason. And then LeBron James now can be that guy in the postseason, which is really what these rankings matter. Like, how are you going to perform when the, the lights are brightest and when the stakes are high? I think that's when LeBron usually rises to the occasion. And my criteria for the best player is not something that I usually gauge off stats. Yes, stats play a role in it. But I think that the best player is the person who has the biggest impact on the floor in terms of like how it affects winning. Last week, we talked about the the most important positions on the floor. And I said small forward is the position that I think holds the most impact on an NBA floor today. Hence why my top two players are small forwards. However, Kawhi Leonard will have to share that load with Paul George. Last year, playing on the, um, the Toronto Raptors, he was their lone perimeter go-to guy. Now they have two. So how's that going to work? They're going to have to figure that out. And he may not have it going every night, and they're going to go to Paul George on some nights. So I do think that's going to take away from his individual success. But with LeBron James, he's a passer. So even if AD is scoring, it's probably going to be from assists that he's getting. And I think with um, LeBron James, his, his impact on the floor, I still haven't seen anything like it. Kawhi Leonard in the, in the finals was going crazy, locking people up, hitting big shots. I get it. But I single-handedly watch LeBron <laughs> dismantle the Warriors for three straight years. They may not have won all those years, but LeBron James was unstoppable, and that was one of the best teams we've ever seen in NBA history. So he can't be corralled. He can't be contained. And that's the reason why I think he's still the top player going into this season. But um, Anthony Davis is, is definitely going to help him out and allow him to, to, you know, like I said, coast through the regular season. So that's our top 25. Um, log on to ESPN to see who uh, the complete list was as far as the top 100. I wasn't going to do the whole, you know, 100 players list because it really doesn't matter. A lot of them are interchangeable, you know, when you're looking at role players. But I just wanted to break down the top guys in the league. And once again, uh, LeBron James, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, Giannis, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, Carl Anthony Towns, Klay Thompson, Blake Griffin, Donovan Mitchell, Pascal, Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green, Victor Oladipo, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell, Rudy Gobert, and Kimball Walker. Oh, shit. I just realized something. I didn't even put Nikola Jokic on here. Damn. <laughs> well, let me see how I will squeeze him, man. I think Nikola Jokic will fall right in between, I would say... Nikola Jokic is going to be right after James Harden. So right after James Harden, I'll go ahead and squeeze Nikola Jokic in there, and he'll be above Paul George, and then Damian Lillard, and then Kyrie Irving, and then so on and so forth. And then if I was to have to take a guy off this list, I think I would still leave Kimball Walker in that 20... No. I would swap Kimball Walker with D'Angelo Russell, because Kimba is still going to be in Boston. He's going to have the opportunity to, to do a lot as their lead guy. So I'll put Kimba Walker at 23, and then I'll take D'Angelo Russell out so I can move the list down. So I will have Nikola Jokic. He will be top 10, 
and then I'll take D'Angelo Russell off the top twenty-five, and then I'll put um, I'll put Kimba Walker at twenty-three, and then the list will move down. Rudy Gobert will be the twenty-fifth best player, and so on and so forth. So, if you want to debate with me, you don't agree, hit me up, <laughs> DM me. We can talk about it at Hoop Facts. If you got my number, hit me up directly. We can talk about it. But that's my top twenty-five, and let's go ahead and transition to the final quarter of the day, and we're gonna talk about. Who are going to be the top five players in the league in five years? Let's fast forward. We are going to year 2024. Let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> now, out of all the segments I've came up with so far when I've been doing the ISO podcast, this might have been one of the toughest, toughest segments I've had to do. And the reason why is because there's so many good guys in the league and there's so many of them that are young. Like De'Aaron Fox is only in his third year. Um... Jason Tatum is only in his third year. Donovan Mitchell, Brandon Ingram, like the list goes on, Luka Doncic. So you really don't know how good these guys are going to be because injuries got to factor into the equation. You also got to take into consideration maybe if these guys get traded. Like look at D'Angelo Russell. He just had a breakout season, made his first all-star team, then got traded to the Warriors. So now his production is obviously going to take a little bit of a dip or may even improve with, you know, the type of offense that they run in Golden State. So this was hard because I had to just pick five players. I'm like, damn, can I get 10? <laughs> but I wanted to make it five because I felt like that was more difficult and I wanted to challenge myself. Now, some of the people that you guys will see on this list are going to be household names already, but there are also going to be a few guys on here that you may not even know at all. So what I'll do is I'll start from the top because I think that'll make more sense. Just because if I went from five to one, I feel like it'll be... It'll be a little bit more head scratching because the guys I got lower on the list are younger guys. And I feel like in five years, they may be on their way to becoming, you know, towards the best, but they may not necessarily be there yet. So I'll start with number one, uh, the best player in five years, year 2024. I think the best player in the league is going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, that may not be a bold prediction because Giannis just won MVP. But in five years, I mean, you have to take a look. Um, Stephen Curry is going to be like 36. Uh, LeBron James may be on his way out the league. Kevin Durant is going to be on his way out the league. So the the stars of today in five years aren't going to be the same players that they are later. Chris Paul is probably going to be retired by then. Uh, Russell Westbrook, he he's going to be on his way out. So it's pretty cool to do this segment because I'm like, the league is going to be so different. And it really had to challenge my basketball knowledge because I had to dig deep. I had to think about players who are in college now, players overseas, like LaMelo Ball. He might come to the league and be one of the best players. Like, you never know what's going to happen in five years. And there's so many factors that, you know, that, that go into a player's success. So the reason why I picked the Greek freak, um, he's going to be a free agent this, uh, at the end of the summer. And with him being a free agent, he kind of gets to control his destiny. So... With him being so good at such a young age, he could determine his future in a sense. If he wants to stay in Milwaukee because he liked, you know, the organization and what they've done so far towards his progression as a player and how they've helped him and assisted him towards becoming an MVP, he can stay there. But if he also wants to leave and go to Golden State, he can do that too. And in doing that, he can determine how long his contract will be. And if we look at it, he's only going to be 29 years old in five years. He's 24 right now. So... Not even at the age of 30. He's already dominating at 24. I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. He, I hope he can get a, a championship. 
because I, I like seeing dominant players like Shaq and, of course, Giannis now and LeBron. I like seeing them win because it solidifies how dominant they were in their era. Sometimes you just need that hardware to kind of, like, back up your numbers. So I do think he'll be the best player in the league at that time. Of course, there'll be a lot of people in the discussion, but I think he'll ultimately be – and I think he'll own that number one spot, especially considering he's already in the discussion now. ESPN had him ranked number one right now. So moving on to the second best player in the league – uh, the second best player in 2024, I think, is going to be Anthony Davis. Now, this one was kind of tough for me because he has a, a, a litany of injuries that he's suffered so far since coming into the league. And I went back and forth with him and Joel Embiid, who also is a guy who's heavily – he's had an injury-riddled career so far. But I think Anthony Davis being in Los Angeles, kind of how I alluded to earlier in the episode, him being with LeBron James is going to add some years to his career. I think he's going to be able to kind of like – not have to be the savior, but he can be the missing piece. And in doing that, it's going to stretch his career a little longer. In five years, Anthony Davis is only going to be 31. And that's the age Kevin Durant is right now, and I think Stephen Curry is too. So these guys are still at the top of the league at that age, and I don't see why he can't, especially considering he plays on both ends of the floor. So even if he's not averaging 30 points, I don't see Anthony Davis being in the league not averaging 24-plus and then on top of that, he's going to be, you know, a defensive Star Wars. So I think with Anthony Davis, he's definitely um, still going to be in a discussion of the top players in the league in five years. And it's really contingent upon his health. If he can stay healthy, I see no, no reason for that not being the case. But if he continues to suffer injuries, uh, I don't see him being in that position. So this is assuming the players are healthy. Uh, moving on to number three, the third ranked player that I have um, in five years in the year 2024 is Ben Simmons. Yes, I'm super high on Ben. I've always been high since he was at Montverde, like six foot ten point guard that really has vision. He's not just a guy that's passing. Like I often refer to Lonzo Ball as a willing passer. I refer to um, to Ben Simmons as uh, a creative passer. Like he throws guys open. I've seen him make some passes to where the guy who he threw it to didn't even know he was open. That's a creative passer. That's a Magic Johnson. That's a LeBron James. Those guys, Chris Paul, those, Rajon Rondo, these are like magnificent passers that, you know, even if they aren't scoring, they're going to find a way to affect the game um, passing the ball. And I, I just don't think Lonzo does that. I think once you, you play him and make him try to beat you with his scoring, he's still going to try and force the pass. So, with these guys, um, Ben Simmons, I'm, I'm a huge fan of since, like I said, he was in high school. He's huge. He's only going to continue to improve his offensive game. This offseason, you've seen him working on that jumper a lot. He said in the press conference, if they leave him open, he's going to shoot it this year. So let's see if, he, if he's about it and he's not just talking. I've been looking at those open runs, and he's been, he's been playing with a lot of confidence. I was watching uh, him play against Devin Booker. I think D'Angelo Russell was there, too. Is those runs are good. I like watching those, and of course, the Rico Hines is always fun to watch. But um, I think Ben Simmons could be the next LeBron. I've always thought he was the closest thing to LeBron. Of course, they compare Zion to him because of his physical stature, but I think Ben Simmons, play style-wise, is the closest thing to LeBron. He just has to add that scoring punch. I don't think he'll ever be as good of a scorer as LeBron, but I do think he can potentially be a better passer than LeBron. I really do. And then his rebounding numbers are going to be up there because he's six foot ten and he, he likes to get out in transition. And when him grabbing the ball, he can start that break. So he, he's always crashing the boards. And I think Ben Simmons will be an amazing defensive player as he you know progresses in his career. So he's the third ranked player 
2024. So now this is where things get interesting. We recognize all the names I've said so far. So <laughs> let's look at number four. The fourth-ranked player in 2024 among all players in the league at that time. I got Zion Williamson. <laughs> I know, man. I, I know. And he hasn't played a game yet. I'm the same one that just bashed ESPN for, for ranking him ahead of Klay Thompson. But hear me out. Zion, I'm talking in five years. I'm not talking about this year. He hasn't played a game, so there's no way I can say he's the best player in the league right now or going into this campaign. However, in five years, he's going to be a completely different player. Um, he's going to know his role in the league in five years. This is, like I said, contingent upon Zion being healthy. If Zion can stay healthy, I don't see how he can't reach all the expectations that people have set in front of him. I do think he's that good. But a large reason why I said I think R.J. Barrett would be better out of this class is because I do think R.J. Barrett will be healthy. I don't think Zion would be healthy his entire career with that weight and the way he plays, kind of like Russell Westbrook, but at 280, 290 pounds, I don't, I don't see it really lasting for north of 15 years. So if he can stay healthy... In year five, I do think, um, or in, in, in five years, I'll say, I do think he uh, can be one of the best players in the league. And even if he doesn't stay healthy, I think for the time that he is healthy, he will dominate because that athleticism is world class. He is, that strength is, is just unmatched for a player his age. He's like a big, big monster. <laughs> and he's going to catch a lot of shots on the defensive end when he blocks it. He's going to finish a lot of high-flying dunks. He can dribble. If he ever adds a, a perimeter game, it, there's no doubt in my mind that he might not even be top three on this list. And he has lofty expectations ahead of him as well. But in five years, he's only going to be 24 years old. Same age that Giannis is right now. We see where he's at in his career. And then uh, Ben Simmons, I forgot to mention what his, how old he will be in 2024. He'll be uh, 28 years old, so still not 30 years old yet. And Ben Simmons is already nearly played in the finals in his second season as a starter. He was a Kawhi Leonard <laughs> uh, fade away away or, you know what I mean, one game away from, from making the finals in only his second season as a starter. So he's big time. He's definitely going to be in the discussion. And um, let's go ahead and announce who the fifth best player is going to be in 2024. Now, hold on to the edge of your seats because this one is going to catch a lot of people off guard. <laughs> now, the fifth best player in the league in 2000. And 24 is going to be Imani Bates. Mark my words. Now, for the casual listeners, if you're not like a, a huge basketball fan, you're probably like, who the fuck is Imani Bates? Go ahead and, and, and do your Googles. <laughs> Pull him up because he's the real deal. I think this guy is the next Kevin Durant. And like, for real, they try to give it to Brandon Ingram. It's a lot of guys that come into the league that's lanky, that can shoot, that they try to compare to Kevin Durant. Imani Bates is really the next Kevin Durant. He is only 15 years old right now. He is a sophomore in high school. He just scored 50 the other day when I looked online. He's a bucket. He can score from anywhere. And he's already, I think Imani Bates is already like six foot eight or six foot nine. And the reason why I have him ranked this high, he's six nine. The reason why I have him ranked this high is because. Like I said, he's only a sophomore in high school, and he's dominating seniors. He's dominating everybody on the AAU circuit, and he's already garnering hype. They said – I was reading an article on ESPN, and they said he might be the most complete prospect they have ever seen, and he's only 15 years old. Now, keep in mind, with all this stuff that's going on with the NCAA and how you know they just made it legal for California college athletes to be paid, 
that's going to start a trickle effect that's going to circulate around all of the NCAA. And I really don't see the rule for players having to go to college being in effect too long. I, I give it maybe like two more years. So in two years, he's going to be 17 years old. By the time he's a senior in high school, I think the rule will be gone, and I think he can make the jump directly from high school. If he makes that jump, now that will give him what? He will have two years. In five years from now, he will have two years already down in the league. I think by his rookie season, they'll get to see how good he is. I think he'll average like 20 in the NBA, <laughs> and I'm dead ass. Like I know it sounds crazy because he's only 15, but he's the real deal. I think he'll have a Kevin Durant-type rookie season where he averages like 20, and then in that second year, I think he'll take that next step and he's going to be looked at as one of the guys maybe in 10 years that'll be the best player in the league. So Imani Bates, if you haven't heard of him right now, please go check him out because I think he's going to be the real deal when he finally um, enters the association. So other than that, man, it's been a wrap. That's another episode of the ISO podcast. I thank you guys for tuning in. Before we get out of here, I'm <laughs> I forgot. I got to address the, the, the Damian Lillard Shaq beef. I woke up this morning and my boy sent me to... Um, he sent me the link to, to Shaq. Shaq has some disrespectful shit to say because on the Joe Budden podcast, one that I listen to all the time, um, they were talking to Damian Lillard on there, and they asked uh, the co-host on their mall, he asked um, Damian Lillard a question. He was like, are you the best, or I think Joe might ask him, are you the best um, you know, rapper in the NBA of all time? And he said, yeah. Just like any other confident MC would say, I don't find anything wrong with saying that. But in doing so, uh, they asked him about Shaq. And he said Shaq was good. He was solid. But the reason why Shaq got or sold so many records, because Shaq even mentioned it in the disc, said I got platinum plaques. The reason why he sold a lot of records is because Shaq was just this icon of a, a person. So, of course, yeah, he can still rap. But at the same time, his iconic persona is what sold a lot of those records for him. And I agree with that. So Shaq of course, always has to be the center of attention, found a way to insert himself into the equation, and he made a diss track to Damian Lillard. Soon as my boy sent that and I opened it up, I said, Shaq gonna get his ass shredded. He keep fucking with Dame Dollar. <laughs> and I kid you not, I opened up Instagram right after listening to it, and Dame had already dropped some shit on SoundCloud. So I'm like, I know he don't play. When Marvin Bagley mentioned him on, uh, on what's his name, on first take, when Max Kellerman asked him, Damian Lillard has some shit in the tuck, and he dropped it quick. So... Dame is that type of guy. He's a real MC. He can really rap. And when I listened to his response to Shaq, he just confirmed what I already thought. He shredded his ass up. So I imagine Shaq would come back, and I imagine Dame would come back. And this is going to be another ongoing <laughs> rap beef within the NBA that I'm excited to see. But Shaq did his thing, man. He, he can flow, but he's going to have to do a little bit more than what he did with that Kobe tell me how my ass tastes shit that he did, a <laughs> that he did about five to ten years ago. That shit ain't going to cut it against Dame Dollar. You're going to look stupid. They're going to have you all over Worldstar, Instagram. They're going to be killing the diesel. So I, I, I think... This 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 is all in fun, but it is definitely hilarious to see. It just confirms what I've always thought about Shaq. He's an attention whore. He has to make everything about him. It's the same thing he did last month when somebody asked Kobe Bryant, you know, about Shaq and he gave his honest answer. Shaq always takes it as a slight or he just takes it as a, a opportunity to to talk about himself, which is something he loves doing. So that's been another episode. I'm glad you guys tuned in. Um before we get out of here for the ISO spotlight, I'm going to play a track that I just came across this weekend. I was hanging out with my boy P. He, um, he put me on a lot of songs from this guy. He's from L.A. Uh, his name is Savi Third, And I didn't really know too much about him, say, maybe a few months ago. But 
He just showed me a couple of his songs. Every song he plays, I like it. I'm not going to lie. He, he got a real unique sound to him. Um, and he, I think he's just dope. So this song is is by uh, Savi the Third. It's called Politics. New music just released last week. So um, go ahead. Get us a listen. Let me know what you think. And um, just like every episode, man, stay safe. Stay out of trouble. Be cool. And uh, until next time, catch you guys later. Peace out. Yeah, look.